Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Joe Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network, the number one podcast platform for professionals. Given that the goal of this show is to have fun learning about how and why horses go round in circles, I thought we'd use this episode to introduce a new segment I'm lovingly coining, the feed bag. You know how other shows have a mailbag to answer listener questions? Well, this is that, just with a social media and Hungry Hungry Horse-inspired name. Between questions sent in via our Facebook and Twitter feeds and our ask at beyondtheracetrack.com email and my history as a tour guide and the Remington Park Racing 101 virtual cocktail hour that sparked this whole idea, I'm going to go through and answer some of the things you've always wanted to know about horse racing but never thought you could ask about. Because as I said last week, there's gotta be a reason I've spent 18 years working on all sides of this crazy game. No matter how you found us, and I'm certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know about and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. Beginning with the basics, at what age do horses start racing? The short answer, two years old. The bigger answer, when they are fit and mature enough. Think of it in terms of an NFL player. Despite what Hollywood might sell us on occasion, no one rolls out of bed, thinks, ooh, I want to play professional football today, and runs out onto the field a few hours later. It takes years of learning the physical and mental aspects of the sport before an athlete is truly ready. With thoroughbreds, the same is true. When they are basically a year and a half old, so think late summer, early fall of their yearling year here in North America, a horse starts its lessons at a farm, not a racetrack. They get a bridle in their mouth and a saddle on their back for the first time, then it progresses to having a human on board. As horses start to get acclimated, they move from the stall or the round pen to usually a small track, and they start learning how to be a racehorse by walking, then jogging, then galloping. One of my personal favorite parts of the process is the starting gate component. Two-year-olds will walk through or stand in the gate pretty much every day. I've seen it done as a literal gateway before they step onto the track every morning, which I personally love because I think it teaches the mental part of I run after I get loaded in from the very beginning. Whether the horse goes through a training sale or not, once they are considered ready, not outright race fit, but enough to run a little, they are shipped to a track-based trainer. Then it's up to that guy or gal to put on the finishing touches, pretty much getting the horse to work fast enough and steady enough to hopefully be competitive. The last step is to get gate carded, which is where the horse must show it can load, stand, behave, and then spring from the gate in the morning. This is also a time for the gate crew to learn any idiosyncrasies the horse may have that would need to be managed in the afternoon. In an ideal world, the whole process of starting and breaking and training and running takes about a year. But as one of the best sayings from a Hall of Fame trainer goes, Never tell the horse the plan because you're just inviting injury or illness or something else unforeseen to pop up. 
I've seen horses win a few weeks after going through a two-year-old in training sale in early April, but I've also seen horses debut at four years old, and both types have gone on to perfectly great careers. Basically, it's all a matter of the individual pony and their skill and how they're managed and, frankly, a lot of racing luck. The logical flip side of asking when a horse can start running is to ask what happens when they are done running. The short answer there is, well, pretty much anything. The longer answer depends on gender and soundness and athletic ability. When it comes to boy horses who are called colts through their four-year-old season or if they were castrated at any point, they become a gelding, but when they're still intact and if they performed well at the highest levels, a horse can go on to stand as a stallion. I know a lot of owners who actually prefer to have girl horses in their stable because of the residual value that comes with breeding. The nice thing about a filly, which is what they're called until the age of four, then its mare from then on out, is that their pedigree, who their mom, their dad, their siblings, and extended family are, can outweigh a lackluster racing career. But what happens if a racehorse isn't good enough to go into the breeding shed? As someone who grew up show jumping former racehorses, you can see them doing all manner of things from Olympic level competition as jumpers or eventers to being pasture pets to leading trail rides. This is often where awesome organizations like those with Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance accreditation or those who receive grant money from folks like After the Finish Line come in. They must meet a high level of standard in horsemanship, quality of facility, adoption policies, and other areas. You can find out more about the TAA and affiliated programs at thoroughbredaftercare.org. Some of the more popular organizations you'll hear about are Cantor, which operates in a bunch of states, Rerun, which does the cool Monet paintings you often find on eBay, and New Vocations, the largest adoption organization in the country, which sees more than 500 horses each year in their rehab, retrain, and rehome program. One of the best places out there, and one you can visit when the world returns to normal, is Old Friends Farm in Georgetown, Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. Old Friends is sort of an equine retirement home. They house some of the coolest former runners. Derby winner Silver Charm, graded stakes winners like Little Mike, Alphabet Soup, Game on Dude, Touch Gold, and of course, the coolest mini of them all, Little Silver Charm. What Michael Blowen has built at Old Friends is truly special, and I highly encourage everyone to visit oldfriendsequine.org to learn more. Oh, and we should all be following the OTTB hashtag on Twitter to see all the cool stuff folks are doing with their off-the-track thoroughbreds. Another great question is how many horses can run in a single race? In Europe and Australia, it's not uncommon to see a 15-plus horse field. In North American thoroughbred racing, however, most fields for especially stakes races are capped at 14. The Kentucky Derby is the largest we run with a max field of 20. According to the Jockey Club Factbook, where the industry's official stats are kept, the average field size in 1950 was just over nine horses. It dropped a bit before peaking again in 1985, but has dwindled steadily in the 35 years since, we're currently at seven and a half horses per race. That may not seem like much of a drop, but one of the more interesting statistics, and one that many folks lament, is how many starts a horse will make in its career. While there are instances of runners nowadays, mostly claimers, making 50-ish starts, the official average is a surprisingly low, just over six. This ties into the question of how long a horse can race. That answer is until they're no longer competitive. 
This can be usually due to old age or injury or, somewhat controversially, when their breeding value outweighs the liability of continuing to run. I've seen two-year-olds retire after a few starts, but I've also seen horses race into their early teens. Speaking of the Kentucky Derby and its 20-horse field, one of my favorite statistics is the chance of making that starting gate. As the old quote goes, you're only three years old on the first Saturday in May once in your life, so it's not the best horse who wins, it's the best horse in that moment, in those conditions, in that two minutes. Looking at this year, those 20 horses will be from a crop of 20,598 foals born in 2017. A literal one-tenth of a percent of a chance four years ago, because gestation is 11 months, when the breeders decided which mare should visit which stallion. So when you factor the costs of board and care and sales prices and stud fees, the odds of success at the sport's highest level are astronomical and expensive. Further, and kind of counterintuitively, the Derby has often been won by the more inexpensively purchased horses, which makes the old adage of just throw money at it to succeed obsolete. As we keep moving towards more of the track-based procedural-ish questions, one of the most common ones that comes up is, wait, there are levels to racing? From lowest or most common on up, the backbone and therefore most carded type of races are claiming ones, where a horse is eligible for purchase at a given price. Then we move into the protected ones, allowance and stakes races. Each level has many subsections of its own, usually involving price or how many races have been won or some other condition. When it comes to stakes races, theoretically where the better horses are, there are four levels. Listed races, where the purse they're running for is sub $60,000. Then we get to the graded ones, which range from level 3 to 2 to 1. The races most folks will talk about and that you'll see on TV, things like the Triple Crown and most of the Breeders' Cup cards, will be grade 1s. Those are career makers for future breeding endeavors and come with the biggest prize money and trophies. What stakes races get which designation is decided by the Graded Stakes Committee here in North America. Founded in 1973 as a function of the Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association, the committee gauges competitiveness of major races by the fields of recent renewals. You know, a lot of professional sports have levels like this. MLB has AAA and AA ball, the NBA has the G League, there's the USL for men's soccer, but those are minor leagues that support the majors. Horse racing is a bit different in that any athlete can be entered at any level. The goal, of course, is to place the horse where it'll be most competitive, and as we talked about with Stu Slagle last week, races are often written with conditions or restrictions, but any horse can run wherever its owner and trainer decide to enter. Last question for today's feedback is a personal one I've gotten pretty often over the last 18 years of my career, and my answer hasn't changed since I was a little kid going to, as it was called in my family, the horse beach. What is my favorite part of a race? There's that split second when the gates break open and the world freezes. No one's won, no one's lost, everything is suspended in midair, and anything is possible. There is so much hope and optimism in that Yachto second. And if I can have a favorite part of my favorite part, it's that we get that moment 8 to 10 times a day. Heck, we get it 15 times on some of the bigger days. And if I can get on my soapbox for just a moment, 
call me a nerd, but one of my favorite statistics to point out, and frankly why horse racing is cooler than any other sport out there, is how many races we run. In 2019 in North America, that's the US, Canada, and Puerto Rico, we ran 40,798 races. Most people want to harp on the fact that that was a 1% drop from the year before, which was a nearly 3% drop from the year before that. But those folks missed the point. Thoroughbreds as an industry run 364 days a year here, with Christmas being literally the only true dark day. So that means, on average, we ran 112 races per day last year. Yes, I know, some days are busier than others, but in general, compare that to an MLB total season of 162 games, or an NBA season of 82, or MLS at 34. We're doing basically 70% of a professional baseball season every single day. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, much appreciation as always to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Jo Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go Beyond the Racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.